Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you today and a great honor and privilege to be able to worship with you again. I, I had a birthday this week. This is just a prop, by the way. <laughs> I, I had a birthday this week, and in thinking back on life, as birthdays tend to cause us to do, I realized that I have lived in Amarillo longer than I've lived in any city in my life and been a member of this church longer than any church in my life. And so you have such a special place in our hearts. So it's a great privilege to be back with you today and just honored to be asked to preach today. I just, I think it was three weeks ago, I stood up to give the welcome in my church at First Baptist Church Shreveport. We've lived there for four years now. And every time I stand up, to give the welcome, I, I think, don't say Amarillo. Don't say Amarillo. Don't say, and I've never said it. And then three weeks ago, we had a former pastor in the congregation. And so I'm thinking, okay, how in the welcome will I introduce Dr. Hunt? Okay, I'll say this and this and this. And somewhere in there, my mind got on that old script. And, and so I stood up three weeks ago for the first time in four years and said, Good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church Amarillo. Wait, we're not in Amarillo. And it's like the plane just started to, to wobble there and I butchered the introduction of the former pastor and it, it all fell apart. But I'd made it four years before saying that, just missed by about 450 miles there. Well, it's great to be here today. I was on a plane recently and I heard a conversation behind me. It was several rows back and I wasn't trying to eavesdrop. It's just they were so loud that everyone around them for four or five rows got, let's call it the opportunity to hear their wisdom and their opinions about a whole range of things. And there was a refrain to their conversation. It's something that came up over and over again and it was the phrase, somebody's got to do something about blank. Okay, so whatever the topic was, so the size of the carry-on bags being brought onto the plane, somebody's got to do something about this. They were much too big. The size of the overhead bins on the plane, they were much too small. The weight at security, it was much too long. The problem of terrorism, no one's doing anything. And over and over again, the, the conversation came back to that theme. Somebody's got to do something about blank. You ever find yourself thinking that? Um, we watch the news. We see problems all over. There's terror. There's violence. There's family breakdown. There's alienation. There's racism. There are, are all kinds of things going on around us. And we think somebody's got to do something about whatever it is. In modern life, I think more and more than in decades or centuries past, uh, we look to government to solve big problems. We think the government's the only thing big enough to solve these kinds of problems. And maybe we put more and more on the government's plate, or maybe the government bites off more and more to try to take on. And, and we can come to think that the way that we address problems or big problems around us is just through our vote, that that's when we pick somebody to do something about all these problems. Um, and our vote is important, and it's sacred and earned for us through sacrifice. Our vote matters. But I think as believers, we should never think that we can outsource our role 
okay, in doing something about big problems through our vote because we are a part of Christ's kingdom. And the right leader is already on the throne. And we have the challenge and we have the opportunity and, and we have the task before us of doing something. And it doesn't mean that we have to do big things. It can be small things that we do together of chipping in or helping a neighbor or starting a mission project with your Sunday school class, um, volunteering, taking a risk, serving others. Or think about the very basic things the New Testament tells us to be doing. So love one another, uh, help the brother or sister who is in need, um, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the prisoner, care for the widow or the orphan or the stranger. And how we apply what God has given us to the problems that we see around us is a very basic part of the Christian life. It's how we embrace and live in the kingdom of God, and it's how we can change the world. So picture this person. Maybe you know someone like them. Picture the disabled veteran. You know, picture them early in that time of life when they felt invincible, trained and equipped and part of a group and really a greater sense of community than they had ever felt. But then picture them after the crash. Um, the months in the hospital, the months in the wheelchair, the setbacks or, or bad news, that sense of belonging and community is ripped away from them and, and trying to come back, trying some jobs, it's not really working, frustration and anger. Picture that person. What does the gospel message mean for helping others? What is in our power to do? Somebody needs to do something about brokenness or loneliness or healing. Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 3. We'll look at a story in Exodus 3 and 4 together. The, the big picture of the day in Exodus 3 was a big geopolitical problem. It was a Pharaoh who had, who had come along and knew not Joseph. He had put the people of Israel in chains, and the question, the cry that was rising up across Egypt from the Israelites was, somebody's got to do something about this slavery. And there's this key moment at the end of chapter 2 where it says this, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant. God saw the sons of Israel and noticed them. It's a great word for us when we are suffering, um, when we feel forgotten and overlooked and stepped on and struggling, that God does hear, and God sees, and God remembers us. So God responds in this really surprising way through the burning bush in chapter 3 to Moses. Moses, he of the really amazing biography, baby Moses bobbing in the Nile, Prince Moses raised in the palace, murdering Moses, killing the Egyptian who was beating the Hebrew slave, exile Moses, rejected by his people, leaving into the wilderness as a shepherd. And I wonder as the days and the years and the decades passed, if Moses didn't think back about what a wild ride his life had been 
So many ups and downs, but now settled down, quiet, just Moses and the sheep. Until one day, he's pushing the flocks for some reason further and further and further from home, and squinting against the bright sun, he sees a, a column of smoke in the distance. And approaching it, he sees this remarkable sight, this bush that is not consumed. This is no Bedouin campfire here. And as he approaches, God speaks from the flames, take off your sandals, this is holy ground. So unlikely, this bare little spot in the wilderness, holy ground because the holy God is incarnating it at that moment. And in this spot, to Moses and his collection of sheep there, God unveils his plan. I have seen my people suffering, heard their cry, and I will deliver them to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And Moses, I'm sure, was a little confused at first and overwhelmed by this, but then this thrill of excitement, amen, God, do it. But then God says, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people out of Egypt. Moses long had thought, somebody's got to do something about this slavery, and, and so excited, yes, God, yes, God, do it. But then this pit in his stomach from that second person pronoun, that word's a tough one, you, you. Look at, at verse 11 of chapter 3. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I, God? I am a nobody. I was a somebody once, but that ship sailed long ago. I'm too old, God. That's young man's work. I'm a marked man, arrest on sight. Pharaoh hates me. I'm not qualified. I'm not equipped or trained. I'm not connected enough, God. Look around, just me and the sheep here, no followers. With me, uh, I can't talk. I, I stutter when I'm nervous over and over. That's the tenor of this conversation. Excuse after excuse after excuse. Uh, do you ever do this? We come to a, a faith challenge in life. Um, do you ever read something? And maybe if something starts to stir in your heart, a, a sense of admiration, or maybe you hear a call or a need or a challenge, and Something moves within you, but very, very quickly, this wet blanket just douses it out. Um, that's great and all, God, but not me, of course. Somebody needs to do that. So, God, you should find someone more qualified, more trained, more wealthy, more healthy, someone younger or older, someone single or someone married or someone whose kids are older, or someone whose kids are younger, someone who is more whatever to do it. We can develop a, a real narrative of lack in our lives. Uh, sometimes it, it comes from our failures in the past, and, and we think that disqualifies us or marks us in some way where, where we, we can't move on from it. Or, or maybe it's our own self-doubts, that voice in your mind and that tells you you're no good, you can't do it, and we, sometimes we can listen to that too much and cherish it and let it grow and grow and lead to a crippling insecurity in our lives. Or, or sometimes it's our, 
financial situation and the budget's broken and we're bleeding money and we have medical bills and the dryer's squealing and there's so much that we need and so much that we, we lack. There can be a lot of forces that, that reinforce or feed into this narrative of lack in our lives. And that narrative makes us an excuse factory where we can come up with five or ten or a dozen right off the bat why it must be someone else, God. That was Moses. And some of Moses' excuses were perfectly reasonable. He wasn't making stuff up. But I want us to hear how God responds in verse 12. Certainly I will be with you. That should end our arguments, shouldn't it? That God has promised to be right beside us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Or there's this wonderful re refrain throughout Scripture of the, the phrase, there is nothing that is impossible with God. If God is right with us in an endeavor and He's promised it, we should be good to go. But Moses counters that. Yeah, but who are you? Maybe you're just a talking brush fire here. So God gives Moses that great and mysterious name, I am who I am, Yahweh, God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and I will do this thing and deliver the people. And, and he even tells Moses step by step by step, here's how it's going to happen, this divine plan. You will go to Pharaoh. He will refuse. I will show him signs to show my glory. You will lead the people out. He, he gets the whole thing, a peek into what God is going to do. But still, still, Moses isn't convinced. In chapter 4, verse 1, Moses worries about the response when he tells the Hebrew people that a bush told him to confront Pharaoh and that they'll all march home after that. And he says, what if they won't believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say to me, the Lord has not appeared to you. And God responds with a very important question. What is in your hand? You see, Moses is so wrapped up with his narrative of lack that, that he's, his mind is obsessed with what he doesn't have. It's highly developed in his life, but God doesn't ask what he lacks for the task, what he needs but doesn't have, but God asks, what do you already have? What is it in your possession right now? And maybe Moses thought, I'll show you, God. I've got my stick. It's a shepherd's staff. It, you know, it's simple. It's common. It's not much. This is no royal scepter where you wave it and everybody jumps up to do what you've said. It's not a sword where you would leave, lead a cavalry charge here. But it's just this shepherd's staff, this tool of the trade. But think about the role of this stick in the events to come. When Moses goes to Pharaoh, he'll throw this staff down and it turns into a serpent. Or later, Moses will strike the Nile River and the river turns to blood. Or it's this staff that he raises to call forth the plagues of frogs and gnats and hail and locusts. And then the greatest of all, backs against the wall, Pharaoh's chariots bearing down, it's this staff that he raises when God parts the Red Sea. 
God will change the world with this simple stick in Moses' hands. What is it in your hands? You see, even today, God is not so interested in what we don't have as in what we do have, that we are willing to give to God's service. And part of what it means to call Jesus Lord is to present ourselves and all that we have to God for His kingdom. And we can offer excuses. I'm not wealthy enough or healthy or young or old or whatever enough, but I want you and me to face that divine question today. What is in your hand? What is it that you have? Maybe you have time on your hands, time that you could use to love or share or teach or heal. Maybe God didn't give us that time to binge watch Netflix. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's abilities. Maybe it's an idea for ministry, something you've kicked around for a while. What, what if we tried this? What is it in your life? What's in your hands? Maybe you've been holding it back for years. In May, I took a very brief trip to Ethiopia. We had a meeting over there, a two-day meeting, to plan our work for this fall. So by brief, I left on a... Sunday night after preaching and got back on Friday night and went to Africa in between. So it was a very fast trip. And really the only thing we did besides these meetings we had with, with regional church leaders was went to see a ministry in Addis Ababa uh, run by Pastor Tesfai. And Tesfai lives in the Kora neighborhood of, of Addis Ababa. And the Kora neighborhood is known for one thing, the city dump. So the neighborhood has grown up right around the outskirts of the dump, this massive collection of trash from a city of six million people. And the reason there's a neighborhood there at all is because the dump represents opportunity. So for desperate people, they can go and dig and sift and find things that they can eat or wear or use or sell or recycle. So think about that lifestyle. Um, that's the Cora neighborhood where Tesfai lives and works. And his ministry is really great. He does a number of things there. He has a ministry center with social workers and people come and they interview them, talk about their needs, distribute food. Um, one ministry project our church does is every fall on a Saturday morning, we have 50 volunteers and we pack 10,000 meals and they go to Ethiopia and many of them are distributed uh, by Tesfai in the Kora neighborhood. Um, he works with local churches and pastors. Um, he helps start businesses, so creating jobs is a big deal. So he was able to arrange financing. We went to a, a little bakery. It's one of the few places you don't smell the trash because there it's the wonderful smell of fresh baked bread and has jobs now for people there. It's a really neat ministry. One of the things he's best at, though, is a sponsorship program. So they identify children in tremendous need, orphans, uh, those who might be disabled, um, widows, and he connects them with sponsors from Addis Ababa or Europe or America who can give $20 or $30 a month to, to help them meet basic needs. 
His staff visits them every week, makes sure they're doing well, that they have uh, what they need. We, it's a wonderful ministry to the least of these. Uh, one of the people with us was a church administrator from Montana. And so we went and found this is the woman that he sponsors through Testify's work, the woman um, there to the left. Uh, and I don't think I could adequately describe her house. It's maybe 10 feet by 10 feet, and I cannot stand up inside it. Here's a picture. Um, it's a frame of sticks, and then there's paper and plastic and sheet metal and just whatever is around. It, it surely leaks freely. There's no furniture inside. She sleeps on the floor. Um, as testify, they've tried different things in helping people, and they've tried improving the houses, but the landlords just raise the rent and kick them out. So. The focus is on the people, on core needs. And so it's this wonderful ministry. What is in Tesfai's hand that he uses is his love for his neighborhood and a personality that connects and a, a drive and a passion to help people in remarkable ways for deliverance in so many ways. And what's in your hand? As we were leaving there, the missionary, Jim, shared with me what he had heard about Tesfai's story, his past growing up. See, if we back up in Tesfai's life, we find a boy growing up in the dump. Uh, he is the child of lepers, and the leper colony in Addis is in Cora by the dump. Uh, and so from a very young age, Tesfai sifted and dug and collected and waited in the trash. The prize garbage deliveries were the ones that came from the resort hotels or from the airport. So if the truck was coming from the Sheraton, that could make your day or your week or food for your family for a while. But everybody else knew that too. And the boys would have, they had to fight uh, to get the best garbage. And it was one day when one of those trucks was backing up that Tesfai was, was wrestling and pushing and shoving with the other boys. And in the course of that, the, the back of the truck opened and hit him in the mouth and split open his mouth. Uh, and it, obviously, it was soon infected. He had no access to medical care or antibiotics, and the infection got worse, and it lingered, and he lost teeth. It was disfiguring. Uh, and one day, a woman from the U.S., a volunteer, came across him, and she was at a crossroads right then. You know, do, do I help or do I move on? And that woman used what was in her hand, resources and connections, to help that boy. He got surgery. She was able to connect him with a sponsor in the U.S. who gave incredibly to him. Something uh, on the order of $200 a month and gave that for years for him through school, through rehabilitation, through plastic surgery, uh, through college, uh, until his ministry started. That man used what was in his hands. So how does the child of lepers with a face ravaged by infection become a source of hope and light and reconciliation and gospel work in Korah today. It's through a whole collection of people using what was in their hands and trusting God with that work. One day, Tesfai, after 
the surgeries after education, after his ministry was up and going, had the opportunity to visit the United States. And he, he had the chance to visit that sponsor. What a great moment to be able to meet this man who had changed his life. And as he was traveling there, I'm sure he imagined maybe a sprawling suburban home, a big yard, big cars out in front, or, or, or maybe the gated, old gentrified house, oaks all around. But that's not what he found. Um, do you know where he ended up? He ended up at this guy's house. Do you remember him? The veteran? And it was not in a mansion, and it was not in a McMansion, but it was at a mobile home. And this man, it turns out, had been giving something like 20% of his income for a decade to a boy on the other side of the earth. He gave boldly and creatively. He, he wasn't wrapped up with what he had lost or with his narrative of lack, but he gave what was in his hands to God's work. If he can do that, can you make a difference in your neighborhood, in our city, in our nation, with deep divisions that we experience now? Can we make a difference in this world? With God, nothing is impossible. Can you make a difference in a child's life? Can you help someone who is hungry? Can you help the refugee, the stranger, to feel family and comfort and at home. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Can you build relationships with the lonely? Can you cross that racial divide? Can you help piece back together broken shards of life and society? If God is for us, who can be against us? The right leader is on the throne. And his kingdom, his beautiful kingdom of grace and mercy and peace, it is at hand. So what is in your hand? God can take our meager resources. God can take our time and efforts and abilities. And when we offer, when we go beyond lip service, when we put feet to our faith, Jesus is Lord, declare it with our lives. God can do amazing things. Are you willing? Are you ready? What's in your hand? Let's pray together. Lord, you have blessed us and strengthened us and guided us in incredible ways. And Lord, I pray that when we say Jesus is Lord, we mean it with every bit, with ourselves and our time and our energy and our passions, that we would serve you, that we would not cling with closed fists to what you have given us, but that we would have open hands to you and for your work. In your name we pray, amen.